You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. So this morning, I want to talk about the fact that ideas have consequences. Let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. And I just pray this morning that I will speak the words that you would have me speak. And Lord, you would open the hearts of the people to receive it. In your name we pray. Amen. So yeah, my, my sermon is, is about the fact that the, your base ideas in life are going to have a major impact on what you do with your life. Now, as Christians, we want a Christian, a biblically-based worldview. That's what we want. We want to take that straight from the Bible. Because that's the only way that we will truly be successful in this life. Now, there's a lot more to it. Um, understanding these ideas will help you understand why you do the things you do, why others do the things they do, and it'll also help you explain the gospel to others. So the idea for this sermon came a long time ago. My mom has a homeschool thing in her basement, and the following verse was, was up on the wall. And when I read it, I really liked it, and it kind of built from there. And so what it says is, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. And watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. So this is credited to Frank Outlaw, the president of the Bilo stores back in the 1800s sometime. But lots of other people have said similar things. And it makes sense if you think about it. Your base ideas in life are going to determine how you react to situations. If you believe in an eye for an eye, then you will respond violently when you're approached with violence. That kind of thing. I mean, sometimes we aren't even aware why we respond the way they do, with the way we do to certain situations. And I know my wife and I, in our marriage, there's been times when both of us have said to the other, it's like, you know, I, I don't understand why you're so upset right now. Like, it's not that big a deal. And of course, when you're upset and someone says it's not that big a deal, you generally don't receive it well. Um, but, you know, we've both been able to step back later on and say, you know, you're right. I was far more upset in that situation than I should have been. Why is that? And that starts an exploration back into why these feelings come up to us in some situations. And it can be a very difficult journey if you're trying to find, find out some of these, these reasons. Now, history is full of examples where an idea like those people are different than us, and therefore we should conquer them. They lead to bad results. And that seems to be history. If you look back through history, we seem to be expansionistic in nature. And so the people next door are bad because they're not us. For no other reason. They're bad just simply because they're not us, and then we go to war with them. So what I want to do today is I want to use the Bible to show you just a few base ideas from Christianity and how that can affect us and our behavior. A lot of this stuff used to be taught more, but now in society, being a Christian often isn't a good thing. We're seen as intolerant and bigoted and all the other adjectives they use for us. But, you know... What they don't realize is that Western society is based on Christian principles, and I do believe that's why we've seen a lot of the success we have as a society. But, you know, since that's under attack these days, we need to spend more time focusing in on that and really understanding it. Unfortunately, people are doing everything they can to erase God from the picture today, not realizing the consequences. 
This has been tried before, and you know, there's that saying, if you don't learn from the mistakes of your past, you're destined to repeat them. People have tried to remove God from society in the past, and then we got Russia and communism through after the revolution from 1917, um, all of the stuff that happened in China and other countries like that when they were under communist dictators. And so we want to make sure we understand this so that we can make sure it doesn't happen to us again. An easy one to get started on is the Tenth Commandment. So this is in Exodus 20, verse 17. And it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So today that would mean house, spouse, bookkeeper, bookkeeper, that's funny, I'm an accountant. Housekeeper, (laughs) housekeeper, or nanny, car, truck with big tires and associated toys like quad boats could do that you have to park in front of your house so everyone can see them as they drive by. And so what I have up there in the picture is what I would call a Cold Lake special. <clears throat> you have arrived in Cold Lake when your truck looks like that. And so I want to be clear, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a truck like that. I'm saying it's wrong to envy the guy that has that truck. That's what I'm trying to say this morning. You know, I, I was doing taxes for a guy a number of years ago, young guy, early 20s, great oil patch job. And I said, wow, you know, things are going so well for you. All you need is a truck with big tires and you've got it made. He's like, oh, it's out front. I've already got it. Right? <laughs> That's just the Cold Lake thing. But if you want to be miserable, the easiest way to do that is to look at what other people have and then wish you had that too. And if you want to be content in life, we need to look at what we have and be thankful for it. So to me, this means instead of standing at the window of your house and looking out and looking at what other people have and wishing for that, it's turning around and looking in and seeing what we have and being thankful for our family, our house, our job, regardless of how big or small it is. And if you can practice this, and it does take practice to break out of a cycle, then you can really see that contentment that God can give us regardless of our circumstances. Now, unfortunately, we have TV and Facebook and things like that these days that constantly throw in our face how much better other people's lives are. And, of course, that's not true. It's a very whitewashed version. They only put the part on there they want you to see about how great their kids are doing in school. You know, it used to be the bumper sticker, my kid's an honor student at whatever school. But now it's Facebook every day, the way they redid their house, whatever it is, that's thrown in our face. And we really need to stay on top of that. So the error in thinking that's really here is that things will bring happiness, right? And the consequence of having that idea, well, we will spend our time and money pursuing the wrong things. We'll pursue physical things instead of the things of God. The next commandment up the list, because that was the 10th commandment, the 9th commandment, is that we shall not bear false witness. So you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So now, this is back in the day, um, they didn't have video cameras and things like that. So when something bad happened, they'd get the people that saw it together, figure out what happened, and that's how they would decide who was guilty and mete out the punishment for that. And so what they're saying is here, you know, like, don't make stuff up when you're in that situation. So basically, don't lie. And so now, why do we lie? And there's two main reasons. There are side reasons and sub-reasons and stuff like that. But one of the main reasons is to appear better than we actually are. So no, I didn't actually do that. Come on, what are you talking about? And the other one is to get something we're not entitled to or to get out of something that we deserve. Kind of reverse of the same thing, right? 
So, you know, what seems to be the problem, officer? Right? Last time I got pulled over, and when I say it that way, it makes me sound like I get pulled over all the time. I don't. I don't. Last time I got pulled over, um, I pulled over, and I was like, that's odd. And so I start digging through the glove compartment, and I pull up my registration. And I'm one of those guys that didn't pay attention now that they don't give notices out. And so she comes up, and she's like, do you know why I pulled you over today? It's like, mm, I do now. And so I got a ticket, but at least she didn't tow my vehicle. That was nice. Anyway, because we worship and love God, we should not deceive, betray, or speak badly of others. Because we are Christians, we should be building people up and speaking well of them and defending them. Now, Jesus got in a fight with the Pharisees, and this is in John 8.44. And if you read the verses around this passage, and I would like to say that anytime you take a single verse and you try to extrapolate too much from it, you can run into trouble. And that's what cults do. They take one verse and they decide what they want it to mean, and then they use that to, to, to come up with a new theology. You have to read the whole section. You know, and I have read the whole section, and hopefully every time someone's up here, they have read the whole section. But it's also incumbent upon your members to go back and check that stuff and read it over and make sure that you're getting what you're supposed to out of it. But anyway, if you read the verses around this one, Jesus is doing some teaching in the tabernacle, and he's trying to say who he is, that he has been sent from God. And they're like, no, you're not. And he said, yes, I am. And they said, no, you're not, a few times. And finally, he said, look, if you... You say you're from Abraham and that you're of God. God is your father. If you really were, then you'd know who I am. And so then he says, You are of your father the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So basically then he tells the Pharisees that their father is the devil and that's about the gravest insult you can give to someone who's a religious, a religious person, right? But he was saying to them, look, I am coming from God and I'm the Messiah. If you guys really understood God the way you say you do, then you would recognize who I am and what I'm trying to do. But the, and then, so the point of these verses though is he says, look, Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. So when he speaks, he lies and we need to remember that. So now, in the world we live in, you know, if we try to apply this to today, the question becomes, is there an objective right and an objective wrong? Now, I would say yes, absolutely, and the objective right is what God defines as right, and the objective wrong is what God defines as wrong. But people who don't believe in God won't agree with us. They'll come up with their own right and wrong because they have no standard to apply it to, or at least not an objective standard outside of themselves like we do. And, you know, we do like black and white, but unfortunately we live in a gray world, so this isn't really a simple thing to do, and we do have judgment calls that we have to make. You know, and, and those can be hard decisions to make. And people who say to you, well, you know, that's your truth, not my truth, and that kind of stuff, they don't really mean the word truth, because the truth is the truth, and it's not the truth because we believe it's the truth, it's the truth already whether we believe it or not. And we need to remember that. You know, if you've ever seen the movie Liar, Liar with Jim Carrey, um, he can't lie. And I see some of you have seen it, so you can't judge me for watching it. <laughs> um, when, his son, when, his son first can't, when his son first wishes and he can't lie anymore, he's got a blue pen in his hand. And he's trying to say the pen is red. The pen is red, right? And he's like, the pen is... And he does all those things that Jim Carrey can do with his face and eventually says the pen is royal blue because he can't lie anymore, right? 
And that, and then, you know, honestly, at the end of that movie, the message is you shouldn't lie, and that's not bad coming from Hollywood. You don't usually get that kind of thing, but that's that's what the the point of that movie is. And so the fact is, there is an objective right and an objective wrong, and we can find that in the Bible. Another commandment I'd like to talk about: remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Or you shall not steal. <laughs> I can talk about that too. I must have missed a slide. That's funny. Anyway, I would uh, I would like to talk about the Sabbath before I move on to stealing. Um, and the reason I would like to talk about it is because it's really important to have a day of rest. And the main reason it's important is because God said so. That's really the main reason. He designed us so he knows what's good for us. And he said, you need a day of rest. So we need rest every day when we sleep, every week when we have the Sabbath, and then annually when we have vacations. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to Mexico, but it's just time away from the regular routine of work and life to think about what's going on. You have a chance to get away from the busyness. And I'll tell you why I know this is important is because I've messed this up before. When I first left the oil patch to pursue accounting, I really thought it was what God wanted me to do. And, and I still do. The error in my thinking was I thought that since it was what God wanted me to do, it would be easy. And that's just not how things work, right? Um, I had a lot to learn about how to run a business and specifically run an accounting practice. There's a lot more to being an accountant and having your own practice than just doing the accounting work. And so in the meantime, I was finishing up my schooling. I had a wife and two kids, then three kids. And it got to the point where I just burnt out. And it was funny, I asked Melanie last night, I was like, what year was that when I had my burnout? And she responded, which one? <laughs> right? And I was like, oh, well, no, the first one, the main one. And, but it just, it got to the point where all I wanted to do at the end of the day is I'd, I'd go to work at 8.30 and I'd work till 5. I probably wasn't getting that much done. And I would go home and I would sit on the couch and I would turn the baseball game on. And that's all I had in me. There was nothing left. And, and so then finally Melanie got upset with me and she's, all you do is sit on the couch and watch baseball. I was like, that's it. That's all I got. I'm sorry. There's nothing else. But at that point then I started thinking, you know, when I remember sitting at work, I was like, what is wrong with me? That's, that's not me just to go home and sit on the couch. And, you know, I had never really had issues with depression in my past or anything like that, but I remember sitting there that one day, and I just had a thought, and I do truly believe it's from God. When you have flashes of inspiration, I used to like to claim credit for them and think how smart I was and that kind of thing, but I've now learned that's, that's the Lord revealing something to me. And I was like, I wonder if I'm depressed. And, of course, we live in the modern age, so I googled depression to try to see what it was. And so I read, I read some of the stuff there, and I was like, wow, some of those symptoms apply to me. And I found another article, and it was really well written. And the guy was like, you know, there is more than one kind of depression. There are people who just have chemical imbalances and really struggle with depression. He said, but there's also burnout depression, where you've been pushing too hard for too long, and your body just can't take it anymore. And when I was reading that, I was like, that's me. Everything he said, that's me, that's me, that's me. And just the realization of what was happening to me gave me some hope that at least I could deal with it. Because before that, I didn't even know what it was. So how can you have hope when you don't even know what you're dealing with? So at the time, the prayer, the, the healing rooms were still running. So I went to the healing rooms that night, and I got prayed for. And I started to make some changes to get myself back, is really what I started doing. 
And so that's why I know that rest is so important is because we, if we don't rest, our bodies and minds can only take so much and we can really literally turn into zombies that we're just existing instead of living. Excuse me a second. All right, on to my slide. Thou shalt not steal. That's a pretty straightforward one. Um, and you'll, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone, even who does steal, that would tell you that it's okay. They know it's wrong. They justify it in other ways. And when we think of stealing, we think of something blatant like this. We don't think of all the other ways that we're not honest. Like, <clears throat> if you spend your work day on Facebook instead of doing what you're supposed to do, then you're stealing from your employer. If you're taking home office supplies, you're stealing from your employer. There's little things like that we like, don't like to think about. You know? And the fact is that without, without this in place, society can't really function. Because why are you going to work hard to accomplish something and get something if someone's just going to take it from you anyway? Right? And that's the idea behind communism and all that other stuff. They, you know, they, they assume that people will do the right thing just because it's the right thing. But people won't try hard, most people won't try hard if they don't get anything out of it. That's just the way people work. And so then from there I can tee off to an associated idea, is man's nature good or is man's nature evil? Now, <clears throat> back in high school, um, we studied The Lord of the Flies. And if you haven't read it, it's a fictional book about some teenagers that get trapped on an island and they try to set up a basic society so they can function. And then an adult shows up and messes that up, chaos ensues. And I'm pretty sure it was in grade 11, and our teacher, who was a Christian, asked, he said, so are people good or are people evil? And at the time, I actually did argue for people being good because I didn't want to believe that people were evil. But, you know, the Bible says that we are evil. Psalm 51 says, surely I was born in iniquity and steeped in sin. Right? And, and once you see that, you can understand why people do the things they do. You know, and if you need other reasons to believe this, think about what happens when there's a major power outage in a city. Do people go around helping each other or do people start looting right away? People start looting right away. At least a lot more people loot than do the right thing. On the internet, where we have anonymity, has good things flourished or has filth become the predominant thing you find? And the internet's probably 90% filth. And that just goes to show you what, when you don't have to answer to anyone, what people start to do, right? They start to pursue evil. So one of the courses I had to take when I was doing my accounting, and for those of you that are thinking, oh no, he's talking about accounting courses, you're not allowed to leave until I'm done. <laughs> it was called Humanistic Concerns in Commercial Practice. And that, what a title, hey? I was not looking forward to that course. It turned out to be fascinating. What they were trying to teach us is how to understand people in the area of commerce because that's what we were going to be doing for a living. And so we're going all the way back to the Bible and we did spend most of the time in the Bible because society is based, Western society is based on the Bible and they were very clear, but that doesn't mean the Bible's true. You can have your own truth. Right in my textbook, right? I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Anyway, <clears throat> moving on from that. The first recorded transaction in history was Abraham buying that um, grave for Sarah, that plot of land. That's the first recorded commercial transaction in history, which I found fascinating and doesn't matter to my sermon. Anyway, as we worked through all of that, we come to the 1600s, and there was a bunch, that was the time of the Enlightenment and thinking 
took on a new way. And a whole bunch of really smart people tried to figure out how to design a society without God. And I mentioned earlier that this had been tried before. The idea of utopia came at that time. And the utopia was from each according to his abilities to each according to his needs. So whatever you're good at, you're going to do and put it in the pot in the middle. Whatever you need and no more, you're going to take out of the pot to make sure you have. And they thought that's a great idea. And it is a great idea, but it doesn't work. And it will never work because people are people. And the funny thing was, <laughs> it failed. Their ideas failed. And they said, okay, we're going to tweak the idea. And we're going to try it again. And it would fail. Okay, okay, we're going to tweak the idea. And we're going to try it again. But they never understood that it was never going to work because their base assumption that people will do the right thing if you give them the opportunity to do the right thing was wrong. People will do the wrong thing if you give them the opportunity is reality. And so if you don't have a society idea based on that, then you'll never have successful society. Another commandment that I'll talk very briefly about, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this one, because really, really, really big books get written about this one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's the first commandment, and it's a very important commandment. And it's a really easy one to understand. It really is. Basically, we need to pursue right as God defines right, and, and not pursue wrong as God defines wrong. If we take someone else's opinion of that, or our own opinion of that, and run with that, then we are putting ourselves or that other person in the place of God. God needs to be the ultimate arbiter in our, in our lives as to what right and wrong is and how we're supposed to live. Anything other than that is having a false God because we're placing something else in the way of God. So I want to switch gears now and move away from the commandments. And I want to talk about a couple other ideas that really cause us a lot of strife in our lives. And I want you to know that as I'm talking about this, I really am approaching this with all sensitivity. And the first one is that God can't love me if bad things happen to me, or God doesn't love me if bad things happen to me. You know, if you read the Bible, you can see that great difficulties follow those that follow Christ. You know, if you read the Psalms, it's mostly David in mental and emotional agony. I mean, he still knows that God is ultimately good and in control, but he's like, how long, O Lord, will you let this go on? As in, he was hiding in caves. He was, there were literally men pursuing him through the mountains trying to kill him, and he was hiding in caves with his group of friends, right? And so, you know, Jesus never said that life would be easy, only that it would be worth it. And now I know understanding this from a logical basis doesn't change the fact that it still really hurts when we have tragedy strike in our lives. And I just wanted to say this morning that it's okay to hurt. I know that in Christianity, you know, we have this we're victorious in Christ thing, and we are, but we still have setbacks, and we still have tragedies that happen to us. You know, and if you just look at Cold Lake the last couple of years, so many people have lost their jobs through no fault of their own. All that happened is oil prices went from 80 to 40, <clears throat> and hundreds of people lost their jobs. But we need to remember, <clears throat> excuse me, that God will never leave us nor forsake us. That's Hebrews 13.5, and that's quoting the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. You know, he will always be with us. If you remember the footprint poem, it was very popular when I was a kid. It's not scripture, but it makes a good point. It's got the guy walking through life, and there's two sets of footprints, him and Jesus. And then in the tough time, there's only one set of footprints. And the guy's like, where were you? Where were you when I was having my tough times? And he's like, it was then that I carried you. 
So we just, what I, what I wanted to say this morning about this is, you know, bad stuff happens. God created the heavens and the earth, and he created perfection in the Garden of Eden, but you can't have true worship and true devotion without a choice. And so he gave Adam and Eve a choice, and they chose to sin. And their sin entered the world, and now sin dominates the world. And the world we live in, we bear the consequences of our own, and unfortunately other people sin upon us, you know. Someone gets hit by a drunk driver just for being on the road. That's not their fault. But it doesn't change the fact that that's a tragedy. So what I wanted to say was that it's, God is still with us regardless of how bad things end. And instead of turning away from him with our hurt, we need to turn to him with our hurt. He wants to be with us as we go through the tough times in life. And the other one that I wanted to talk about um, this is also a very difficult topic. Um, God can't forgive me for what I've done. What I've done is just too bad. And I've got to tell you, this is more than an incorrect idea. This is actually a lie from the pit of hell. That's where this comes from. You know, shame from past events, and sometimes it's what's happened to us, not even what we did, holds a lot of people back. It haunts people. And the fact is, I don't know what you've done. I don't need to know what you've done. Because the Bible gives us a great example that you would be hard-pressed to talk. And even if you did somehow, the principle of the story applies. And this is the story of David and Bathsheba. And I'll break it down quickly for you, but you can find the whole text in 2 Samuel 11. So David's king of Israel. He has great power. Um, it's springtime and the men are off fighting in war because it says that's when kings go to war. Because spring is in the air, we go to war. Uh, anyway, David's up in the middle of the night and he's on his balcony and he sees Bathsheba bathing and she's very beautiful and he's a man who's used to getting what he wants, so he sends for her. And then he fornicates with her while her husband is fighting away in battle for him because he's the king. And that's bad enough. But wait, there's more. This is like a bad infomercial. It just gets worse. So then he finds out she's pregnant. He's like, well, this is bad. I can't have everyone knowing that I impregnated someone else's wife. So he sends a letter out and has, his name is Uriah, sent home to give him a report on the battle and how things are going. And so he gets the report. He says, thank you very much. Why don't you go home and be with your wife and kids for a couple of days? Well, Uriah is such a man of honor. He says, I will not live in luxury while my men are in tents on the battlefield. So he spends one night at the palace, one night he sleeps on the doorstep of his house, and then he goes back. So he's never been with his wife while he's been home. So David's still stuck. Well, as, as with most things, when you let this happen, it snowballs and gets worse and worse and worse. So then he sends a letter to the generals to have Uriah sent to the front lines, and when the fighting's the fiercest, pull back and let him be killed. So then takes Bath David takes Bathsheba to be whatever number wife she becomes into the palace. And that's a tough one to top in the I have done wrong category. Like, that's, that's bad. But you know what? David gets confronted with this. He repents and he turns back to God. And he is recorded for us as a hero in the Old Testament. Even with that behind him, he is recorded as a hero for us in the Old Testament. It says he was a man after God's own heart, which is, I think, the greatest compliment. Now, you have to bear with me through this part, but Satan knows that one who has been forgiven much will love much. And so he wants to use our past sins against us so that we won't have that impact that we can have. When Jesus and the Pharisees talked about this in Luke 7, 
36 to 50, he goes to a Pharisee's house for dinner, and uh, a woman of ill repute washes his, his feet with her hair and dries her feet with his hair. And they said, you know what? If he was who he says he was and he knows everything, he would know that this woman is unworthy to touch him. And then he uses a parable about debt forgiveness to make the point that, you know, if you get forgiven $5, you're happy. If you get forgiven $5 million, you're, you're ecstatic, right? So that idea that who has been forgiven much, love much. And the thing that's going to change the world is Christians out there loving people. And Satan doesn't want that. And so that's why he's trying to use your past sins against you. The song Amazing Grace, that was written by a slave trader. I, I can't think of anyone that put more misery on people than someone like that. So trust me when I say we all have regrets. And we have all done things that we don't want others to know about. Just bear with me a moment here. So I'm, I'm going to close now. So if the worship team, I just want to come back up and and play some nice music, please. What I wanted to offer you guys today is a chance to let go of the shame from our past and whatever has happened to us or whatever we have done. The, uh, we have a prayer team, and they'll be up here at the front. If you want someone to pray with you about what you feel, come on up. Don't don't let this stuff haunt you. Don't let this stuff be with you any longer. If you want, uh, if you want just time with God, you can kneel at the altar like always, just the way Hebrew does it. But if you want someone to pray with, we'll be up here. And the prayer team are people that love Jesus and would love to pray with you about whatever you want prayer for. If you want prayer for healing or anything like that. But my main thing that I wanted to land on today is that God is waiting for us with open arms, and we just need to turn to him. And if we can do that, then we can break free of our past, and we can start to have that impact on the world that we so desperately want to have. <laughs> okay, they weren't ready for today. Can you throw some music on in the back, please, in some way? or Oh, you can play something? Okay. Awesome. So there'll be some gentle music, but please, if you know, if the worship or the prayer team could come to the front and join us, I just invite you to come. And there's someone here that wants to pray with you, and for whatever you need prayer for. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share with you today. And uh, and yeah, the service is is formally dismissed. But I, I just really invite you, if you have something you want prayer for, please come to the front and pray with the prayer team. And the service is, is formally dismissed, but you're welcome to stay and enjoy the worship as well. Thank you. You have been listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. 
Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.